0: Alright, welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prey, Eric Scopal is with me as always, and today is a Wednesday. We're gonna dive into this Wednesday mailbag. You guys sent us the questions, we answered them, and before we, we do that, before we dive into the questions that we've been given, and we've got a bunch, a bunch of good ones at, at that, uh, Eric and I were discussing something off air about the WNBA draft and what would be best for the women's team, and we realized this would be a good mailbag question. Uh, and, and so, Eric, what is better for the program at Oregon? Seeing Sabrina Unescu get picked number one by the New York Liberty, Satu Savoy goes number two uh, to Dallas, and then Rufy Hebert going somewhere else outside of New York City, or Dallas, for that, for that matter, and you throw in... Uh, Mytik Rosola, who would be the fourth player in the WNBA from Morgan next season, and now you've got four players essentially playing for a quarter of the NBA franchise, uh, WNBA's you know franchises, and essentially guaranteeing yourself that basically any night that there's WNBA, you have at least one Oregon player playing, and more than likely being a, a key piece to that team. Or would it be better for the exposure of the program and building the awareness that Oregon is producing WNBA players to see Ruthie Hebert team up with a Sawtoe or a Sabrina? And in particular Sabrina, because a that combination has already worked at the call co- at the collegiate level. And B, if they had success, they'd be doing it in New York city, the biggest city uh, out there in the United States. And it's, the Mecca for basketball, right? Like that city and basketball are ingrained together. Would it be a, what would be the better outcome seeing those four players all on their own squads or seeing Ruthie team up with Sabrina in New York city and both of them dominating in that market?
1: I think this is really an interesting one, and, and I kind of go back and forth, because I do think there is something to be said about being spread out around the country, and you're right, being on, that it, you know, expands exposure of, now maybe you have three star players in the WNBA on three different teams, and I'm not overlooking Maite, but based upon what she did in her rookie season with the Atlanta Dream, I don't think she's going to be a star player, at least not right away. But the other three could be very valuable parts of the different, whatever franchises select them. Um, you know, Obviously, Sabrina and Satu seem pretty locked in at one and two, like you said, but I think you can also feel pretty good about Ruthie doing well wherever she lands, but I think I would take option B, because I think the possibility of having Sabrina and Ruthie team up, and there has been now the possibility of that. There was a trade Wednesday morning that basically created the space and the availability for the Liberty to take Ruthie Hebert in the first round. They didn't have a second first-round pick until Wednesday morning when they made a trade. They traded their kind of franchise player, Tina Charles, who's a perennial all-star center. They traded her and got a couple picks in return, one of those picks being the number nine pick, which was previously owned by Dallas. That could be a perfect spot for where she's projected to go, and we should note on Tuesday, uh, Sabrina said she's hopeful and she's kind of pushing for Ruthie to end up on the same squad with her. And now it seems like that's a possibility. And I do think that would be more advantageous because of a lot of things you stated there. Um, we already know this combination works at a very high level. Probably the most prolific pick and roll duo. Certainly that was playing in college basketball over the last four years, but probably over the last decade or two. I mean, they they really turned that into an art form. And I think if you could see them take that to the next level and We already know professionally that the pick-and-roll has been very successful in both the NBA and the WNBA. I would think it would be very exciting to have that sort of uh, combination together in New York. But then you're also talking about maybe that's what allows for them to push more quickly for a championship. And what if Sabrina and Druthi, and we talked about on the podcast, other podcasts this week about New York has some other good, young, talented players. What if that young core is almost immediately – Maybe not winning championships, but is competing at that high of a level right away, you know, starting in whenever a 2020 season begins. What if they're that kind of a team? And I would think that would be something that would even further provide exposure, not just for that duo, but for man, this Oregon thing worked. You know, this combination that was dominating Pac 12 schools and every other team in the country, you pick that up and you move it to another, you know, another level, you know, moving up a level to the professional ranks and you move it to a bigger market, to New York, and boom it works again, I would think that would be something that would be just even more proof that, hey, what is working in Eugene under Kelly Graves with this pick and roll and and that duo, that you can translate that to the WNBA. I would think that would be a very, very exciting selling point for them. And, And of course, I think from an Oregon women's fan perspective of just following the program, you'd probably love to have a couple of those players playing together at the next level. I would think you'd right. see a lot, a lot of New York Liberty jerseys and support coming from Eugene and the city of Oregon as a whole if that were to take place.
0: One other aspect of it is on the flip side is if they all play at different spots, you have a greater chance of success of seeing one of those players reach the pinnacle and winning a championship. Cause right, like it, we're talking best case scenario from an Oregon perspective. Obviously, the program doesn't care where these guys get picked at, at the core They just want to see them get picked and they want to see these you know four women have success at the WNBA level and, and get their get their chances. but if we want to talk just what's best for Oregon, I, I would think if you put them on different teams now you you have four chances of having one of them win an NBA a WNBA championship. And you can tout that, hey, look, our players come come to Oregon and they get developed. They get picked high in the WNBA draft. They take their teams to the playoffs. We had three players out of four players selected in the last two drafts make the, the WNBA playoffs. And one of those three teams won it all. So you come here, you get, you get on-court success, and we set you up long-term for success as well in the WNBA.
1: And the other potential scenario could be a – we've mentioned the the possibility of Unesco and Hebert reuniting in New York City. It's not implausible, even though Dallas was involved in this trade earlier today. They still have a couple first-round picks. It's not implausible at all either that you could see a Hebert and Saboli combination in Dallas, which, again, I don't know if – that's probably not the same market as New York, but that could be a spot where maybe those two really – Thrive together, and that duo wins a championship. And maybe that makes it even more impressive because you're taking, you're talking about two players that kind of, I don't want to say it were supplementary, but that worked alongside a Sabrina Inescu, Then go and take that, you know, those talents and translate it together at the next level. So I think there's a lot of different opportunities and options for how this could play out. But it's going to be really exciting to see how this all works together if there is you know, a reunion for this duo or one of these duos somewhere in the WNBA. I think that's going to be really exciting. So we'll have tons of WNBA draft coverage on Friday. That starts at 4 p.m. It'll be televised on ESPN. So be prepared to check that out. It's one of the few, like, tangible real sporting events kind of that's going on right now. So um, I think, you know, maybe the WNBA draft hasn't typically been something you've had any interest in, and it makes sense. I ran through the history of Oregon in the WNBA draft. They've never had a first round pick before they've had eight total players drafted. None of them have gone very um highly previously. So probably haven't watched it before, but this would be I think a great opportunity uh to, to, to kind of give that a look and, and to also preview what could be some really exciting careers professionally for some Oregon uh women's basketball legends.
0: Yeah, I'm i real quick before we get to these questions, I just wanna throw out uh, I think we could see some some record numbers from a ratings standpoint, not just from Oregon fans, but just in general. Yeah for the WNBA draft because it's really going to be the first sporting event. And it's not a game, but it's still an event that's out there for a mainstream sport. I understand that the WNBA is not considered one of the big three sports of, you know, NFL, NBA, and then you could argue college football or baseball, but it's still one of, It's a branch of one of the three main sports, football, basketball, and baseball, and those are the three most popular sports out there, and it's a branch of that, and so we could see big numbers just because of people want to watch something that they relate to, that they understand, and you know, basketball is one of the most common sports out there. All right, let's go in now to the mailbag. Eric, you've got six questions. Let's hammer these out.
1: All right. The first one comes from another Eric, uh, at Eric160634, keeping it in the Eric family on this show today, Uh, starting off the podcast with this question, which Oregon sports outside of track and field have the best chance to be the next to win a national title? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Love the hashtag being user. It comes up in a couple of other questions in the show, guys. So keep doing that. That makes it easy for me to find it. Um, you know, I think the easy one when we – we've answered this question in a variety of ways over different time periods. And I think the women's basketball program was like a, a total layup answer when we did this back in like January or February. I think it was after the Rose Bowl. It was like, okay, of course, they've got a great chance to win this year. I think this question becomes a little bit more difficult now that – we just you know, the players we were just talking about that are gonna go on to these big exciting WNBA careers are now gone. I, I don't think, in my perspective, like could they win it in the next two or three years? Possibly, but I think you I wanna see this proven. I wanna see that uh, a new crop of talent can be really successful and compete at the highest level. We've only really seen Oregon women's basketball compete at a super high level with this group that is now uh taking off to the WNBA. I I wanna see them prove it. Uh, this this new group under Kelly Graves, and I do have a lot of confidence that they'll get it figured out with all the talent there. We've talked about it before, seven or eight five stars, a bunch of top international talents. So this is not a team that lacks talent, but it's not quite at that same level as where we were before. So uh, I don't know if I feel quite as strongly, but I think I maybe still stick with the women's basketball program. Um, I think football could take a little bit of time here because you're dealing with trying to figure out the quarterback situation. uh, Frankly, uh, football's been a little further away from getting to that level than women's basketball. I think maybe men's basketball is the sneaky one. Uh, and another one I thought of here is softball. I think people forget they were 22 and two before this year's season, you know, was canceled unexpectedly. I don't know if they're quite at a national championship caliber quite yet, but it is a program, albeit with completely different players and completely different coaching staff, that has already been able to at least compete at that level. So there's that history there. Um, So those would be the ones I'd lean to. I'd probably still lean towards women's basketball, but I don't think there's as much immediacy for that being the pick. Matt, where do you kind of land on this one?
0: Yeah, if you asked me a month ago, I would have said the women's team because they were on their path to to do that. Um, Now, though, I'm taking a step back on the women's team. I think they will win a national championship under Kelly Graves. I think that will happen. But that being said, I think football could beat them to the punch Because the football team is a year ahead, I think, of the women's basketball program and of their current status. And by that, I mean Oregon next year, from a football standpoint, is going to be a top ten program. They have some new new place, you know, new pieces to replace. We'll see where things are are you know are at after next year. But it wouldn't surprise me if if. Next year's Oregon football team, it, it it wouldn't be a major surprise if they made the college football playoff next year. Like I don't think they will, but you could sell me that they could, you know, beat Ohio State and run the table in a week Pac-12, and you're in. Um, but I, I really think they're they're set up. We we know a lot about the pieces that are going to be on the 2021 football team. A lot of those guys will be back for, for, from the 2020 season and Tyler Shuck will be installed and we know a lot of those guys already are are talented as well. Whereas the women's team, I look at them and say, I I think they're going to be good. I've got strong confidence in them being a top, you know, five, top 10 team next season, but there's still a lot of unknowns. Like Aaron Bully really is the only proven player at a starter elite level on the roster for the women's side, like Sedona Prince, we all think she's going to be elite, but we don't know for certain. Uh, Taylor Chavez, like she's been the, the the sixth man of of the women's team the last two seasons, but is she ready to be you know the focal point? We don't know that yet. She hasn't ha- hasn't gone through those rigors yet. What are what are these freshmen going to be like? And so I think. There's, a, it, it's looking at things in a light of, this is all uncertainty, but some, we know, you know, we know more of some, we have more information on some things than, than we do on others. And I think the women's team, they're the complete unknown. Like we we, they're bringing in five five-star recruits. They've got some good transfers. They've got a couple core pieces coming back from last year's team. Like we think they could be right where they were last year. You know, one of the best. Teams in the country, a top five team, but it could easily swing the other direction. You know, they they could have struggles adjusting to life post Sabrina Enescu and Tatu Sabli and Ruthie Hebert and Minyan Moore, and just it never clicks next year or in two years it doesn't click. So I, I would pick football, but I agree with you. The men's basketball team, they might be the sneaky pick because they lose Peyton and Pritchard, and you look across the top 25 early, you know, polls that are out right now and you know they're right around the 20s and stuff like that, but they're experienced. They've got a lot of upperclassmen on the team. All their best players are going to be returners from last season, and it's it's you know they're not implementing new pieces to the puzzle outside of Amari Hardy. Everyone else is coming back, so you know I, I might I might say the men's basketball team has the second best odds out of any of them uh, to do it. Uh, football being one, men basketball being two, and the, the women being three. But I think. I think the women have an extremely high ceiling right now.
1: I was just thinking it would be kind of similar to, I remember when Pate Manning graduated at Tennessee, and it was like, well, there goes the end of that Tennessee run. And I think it was like T. Martin, who's now, of course, been an assistant coach at every school in the country. But I think he led Tennessee to a championship the next season right afterwards. It would be kind of fitting if the Sabrina Unescu Ducks don't win it this last year, obviously from no fault of their own. But the next crop comes out the next year. Uh, and picks up a title. I mean, I think that would certainly help uh, kind of make up for what was a lost uh, NCAA tournament this year. There's no question about it. So I like that question. I think some interesting things to kind of weigh in on. And if you're listening to this and you have a strong opinion one way or the other, certainly uh, go ahead and add that in the comments on social media or, or on uh, duckterritory.com on the message boards. All right, second question from at Duck Greatness. What is your prediction for where the final 2021 football class ranking will end up? Alright, Matt, I'll send this to you. Do you think they will be a top 10 class? Kind of, what, what are your sense for kind of how this class is shaping up?
0: Yeah, I think Oregon's in a position where a top 10 class is very realistic. Right now, they're second in the PAC 12. They have five verbal commitments. They're 18th nationally. The difference between Oregon at 18 at, with 90, or what is, what is their point system? 113.52, you know, top 10. Rutgers, who has 10 three-star verbal commitments and one four-star verbal commitment for their 11 commits, like, Rutgers right now is 10th because they have 11 verbal commitments. You know, Oregon could easily surpass a few of these schools uh, that separate them, you know, 10 to, to 18. Like, you look at Rutgers, his average ranking is 85. Georgia is 94. Texas is 94. Michigan is 90. Tennessee is uh, 85, Penn State's 89, USC is 92, and Minnesota is 87. Well, Oregon is 93, meaning there's only two schools right now that's, that are in between 10 and 18 that have a better average recruit score ranking than Oregon does. So it, all, all it's going to take for Oregon right now to get into the top 10 is literally add – two or three more guys on par with how they've recruited so far, and that's four four four-star recruits and one three-star recruit, and they're back into the top ten and or right around that number. So I don't know why Oregon wouldn't continue the trend that they've done under Mario Cristobal where they recruit and land some of the best prospects out west and some of the best prospects in the country. Um, there's nothing out there that tells me otherwise. Uh, so right now I, I think Oregon's probability of getting into that top 10 is pretty good. They're in a good position for a couple of elite prospects across the board, you know, 5-star receiver, Mecca Ebuka, uh, 4-star, top 100, or top 50 prospects, Troy Franklin, and, and, uh, Dante Thornton at receiver, and then you want to go all, all on along the offensive line, and they've got a ton of four-star guys, high four-star guys there, and same thing for the defensive side of the football. Uh, they're in on, on a couple five-star players along the defensive line. So all it takes is one or two of those five stars to pop, and I know it sounds crazy. Oh, well, it only takes one or two of the five stars. <laughs> well, Horton signed three last year. Like, like, under crystal ball, it's becoming – Clear that they will be they will be players for five star recruits. And you look at who Oregon has has signed from just from an all time commits list the last couple of seasons, and a lot of these guys are crystal are crystal ball recruits. Kayvon Thibodeau is the top one. Justin Flo is the second best recruit ever to sign with Oregon, and he's a crystal ball guy. Noah Sewell is fifth. He is a crystal ball guy. Uh, you, you go down the list. Dante Manning is eleventh. Uh, Michael Wright is 14th. You, you can, you go down into the 20s and you've got Pene Sewell and you've got Jonah Tuanu, you've got Ziamine Lenore, Mace Funa in the 24th. So, you know, half this group of uh, the top 25 recruits all time at Oregon have signed while Crystal Ball is on campus at Oregon. So I think that trend continues. And if you are signing program bests at positions or all time, regardless of position, you're going to be in the hunt for a top 10 class
1: third question from at duck scribe and we're going to kind of parse this one through because the question is a little complicated to understand but what are some creative ideas about having a football season with Otts cheering recorded and played but TV coverage for fans so I, I guess we're going to uh, the way I'm interpreting this Matt would you be for a season taking place where there are no fans in the stadium but they pump in fan noise I, I, like, A like are you up for I, I personally I think football is going to I want it to come back right so like I, whatever works let's find a way let's get creative let's find a solution. I'm okay if you start the season or maybe you end up finishing the season with no crowd you know no fans in the crowd but I don't personally maybe you disagree with this matt I don't know if I love the idea of like them pumping in fan noise, but it is also it would also be very very strange if the, if there was no noise at all so like how, how where, where do you land on that do you are you wanting the weird <laughs> silent game or are you kind of is it kind of weird to have empty crowd with a bunch of fake fan noise piped in?
0: Hmm. I I think it would be weirder with fan noise piped in. And how do you regulate like what's loud enough? What's right? When can it start? When when does it have to end? I think it opens up just a bunch of just unnecessary complications right. to playing the game. And so if we're gonna play with if we're gonna play sports and there's not gonna be fans there. I think it would be kind of cool, like from a a TV perspective, of all right, we're gonna we're gonna put mics everywhere. We're gonna mic up, you know, coaches don't want to be mic'd. That's totally fine. Well, they don't control where mics go, and we're gonna put mics all across the football field, and we're gonna or the basketball court or whatever sport you're playing, and we're gonna pick up on. you know we're going to hear the coaching and we're going to hear the Xs and Os and the discussions that ha- that are made on the sideline during a timeout and you know during a cr- crucial moment and i think that's going to open the window to a ton of just new information that the consumer has not had ever
1: really what what do you think about i was just i was just trying to think of other ways to get creative cuz I, I would think I love that idea, by the way. I think the idea of having some sort of expanded, like, if you're not going to be able to go to the game, you can listen to things you typically wouldn't be able to hear. And you obviously have to find some, probably some kind of restrictions in terms of you don't want them in position group huddles or you don't want the plays being heard or anything like that, maybe. But I was trying to think of something like, I think it really would be strange, though, for those in the stadium, it probably would be maybe just select People and maybe maybe even media wouldn't go, but I'm trying to think here. Like, would you think they'd want to pump in music of some sort? Like, would that be a thing, a direction you'd want to go? And I bring that up in part because I still remember uh, I went and watched the World Track and Field Championships in Berlin, Germany, in like 2011 or something, 2010 I think maybe, and (laughs) they they pumped in music during the long distance race, and I found that to be like very very distracting, and everyone literally just left. They only the fans in Germany only stuck around when. They were, they're, they're they're big muscly athletes were like doing the hammer throw. Um, and then they just pumped in music for the rest. But like, would you be, what do you think about pumping in music or some other, like, nothing? You just think it should be just completely quiet.
0: I think it should be completely quiet. Like, you're, you're thinking about stuff for the consumers. I, I don't know, like the, the consumer experience and. There's, I, I just, it wouldn't feel natural. It would feel more like a video game. I would much rather watch a quiet gym and hear the barking and all of that or, you know, the, 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 the and look, there will be people at these games. Like, they will announce that, you know, family and friends that are cleared to go can get into these games. Like, like we're, all, we're, we're seeing, you know, from a professional standpoint, like, All these ideas being thrown out of allowing, you know, professional athletes to stay in hotels with their families and they have to be checked for coronavirus on a regular basis and, you know, that's how they'll be allowed to play. Well, like, the same instances are gonna happen for the, you know, the families. They'll be checked and they'll be able to go and watch. So there'll still be some crowd noise. It just won't be very loud. But no, I, I I do, I don't wanna see any kind of pumping in noise. It just doesn't, it feels even more strange to me.
1: I think the one thing that really – it would be a disappointment and a, a bummer if, if this is how it plays out. And, of course, this is all so speculative and we're months away from a potential season. But, like, it would just be a bummer where Oregon hosts Ohio State for what's probably going to be one of, if not the most anticipated, home non-conference games ever. I mean, you talk about a program like that coming to Eugene. It would really be a bummer if, if the Ottson experience is completely lost on the Buckeyes and it's basically a neutral site game. Uh, that would be a bummer, of course – Uh that this whole situation is filled with bummers and, and that might ha- end up having to be um, the way this plays out unfortunately and again we're not there's no certainty here but uh just thinking that that might be a possibility i think is something that is sort of like wow that would really put a damper on this whole thing but again that's where this might end up going
0: all right let's take a quick break you're listening to the odson audibles podcast All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prairie, Eric is with me, as always. Halfway through the mailbag, three questions to go. All
1: right, the fourth question from at UO Ducks. Do the Ducks men's basketball team get Isaac Johnson for the upcoming season? Those listening who aren't familiar, he was a signee of, was it the 2019 or 2018 class, Matt?
0: He was part of the 2018. Nineteen class, yes. I believe. Okay, 2019. Yeah, he was part of the Bowl Bowl and the Lewis King group, and just went on a uh, mission.
1: Okay, so but he was a high four-star recruit. Yeah, that there's very. I think there's quite a bit of enthusiasm and excitement for. Matt, what can we say about his timeline for, for possibly enrolling and, and joining the men's team? And, and is there a potential concern? Obviously, when you go off on a mission, sometimes there's there's concern about change of heart where he's going to go to school. Is he still all Oregon, you think?
0: Yeah, yeah. So the idea is that he will go through two recruiting cycles, and he signed with Oregon, and will we'll come back. Oregon... Oregon went out and said that they are okay with him and going on his religious mission. And he will not enroll, though, until the fall of 2021. So we're still another year out from when he will join the Oregon men's basketball program. He's taking a two-year mission. And then uh, I think the timeline of, of when that mission is over doesn't necessarily fully... Um, line up with the start work end of a basketball season. so he's going to you know get a couple months of break in between the mission and the start of school and then we'll be'll be, el- be eligible to enroll and or not eligible is not the right word, but we'll enroll at Oregon ahead of the 2021 basketball season. So he's still one more year away from you know joining the Oregon basketball program. It's, look, it's a piece that it lines up in perfectly for Oregon because Francis Acora will be a senior that season and Fali Dante will be a junior. And look, the reality is, is if Fali Dante has the year that we expect him to have as a sophomore, he's going to go pro. Like he's viewed as a pro prospect right now. And if, if he is one of the better players in the Pac-12 like he could be, then yeah he he could go pro and, and will likely go pro after the 2020-21 season, uh which would you know be the year just before Isaac Johnson shows up and then you don't really have another true center on on the roster so you know if Isaac chooses to you know to come to Oregon because look after he takes his mission he can still he can change his commitment right he can go somewhere else if he wanted to because of the time frame. Um, but Oregon is honoring it. Oregon is allowing him to join the team if, if he wants to at that time. And the and the idea is he will. But that gives you a you know another option at the center spot and a guy that doesn't have to show up right away and and basically be you know the team's best center because in theory they'll have Francis Tuquero on their roster and you know they'll have Chandler Lawson and you know Luke Ware and C.J. Walker who can also help play that spot. While Isaac Johnson gets himself back, you know, acclimated to, to high level college basketball.
1: Penultimate question on today's podcast from at Tosh Myers. What are the top five Oregon men's basketball teams of this decade? And I assume he's talking about the 2010s because if we're talking 2020s, Tosh, there's not a very large sample size to pick from. Matt, I ran through five of my own here, but you're kind of the basketball guy. You, would you prefer I go first and yes. maybe, maybe look like an idiot and then you can correct me? All right, let's go that way. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and make myself look stupid, and then Matt's going to tell me how wrong I am. Uh, I'm gonna start at five. I and to be fair, I actually think there are probably not that many to choose from from the five. I think there's like to me it felt like there were pretty five, uh, pretty clear picks. So my number five um, was the Sweet 16 team from last year, the Peyton Pritchard, Lewis King group that uh, they were basically no man's land for most of last season until they got really hot at the end of the season, made a run, made the Sweet 16. Um, I, I think that team. Uh, was really probably, you look at it and think that's kind of an underwhelming season, and that's probably a team based on expectations coming into the year that was considered to be as talented, if not more talented, than most of the teams that are going to be on this list. But it didn't work out. Bull got hurt. Uh, They kind of struggled for most of the season. They did figure it out late, so I put them at number five. Number four, another Sweet 16 team. This is the 2012-2013 season. Um, This is another team that... I actually was at these games down in, I think it was San Jose, when they made a couple of upsets and and got through some pretty good teams. That They were a team that sort of snuck in late again, sort of similar to this 2018-19 team. uh, Won the Pac-12 tournament, got hot, um, and then they won an upset, a 12 seed and a 13 seed uh, in San Jose. Lost to, I think, eventual champion Louisville. uh, In a a game that was competitive for like 25 minutes or so, and, and then Louisville kind of pulled away a little bit, or at least made it clear that they were the better team. Um, so, but I think that team was really, really impressive. Um, the way they finished had a little bit like a a pretty deep team, kind of went 10 or 11 guys deep sometimes. So, um, that was my number four. Number three was this last year's team. Um, I think obviously the tournament's canceled, so we have no idea what heights they could have reached, but I look back at that team and think there was potential, um, for them to make a deep run. They're also one of the three teams to win the conference, um. in this last decade, so that was my number three. And then number two was the 2015-16 team that made the Elite Eight. Um, very similar to the top team I have on this list, except for you can add Elgin Cook and Dwayne Benjamin to it and take off a, a Peyton Pritchard. Um, that was a very talented team that ran into a Buddy Heald who just couldn't miss from three in that game, and the Ducks just really didn't have it that night. And I think maybe that team has a decent argument for if you just take them independent of, of how their tournament ended and you go, maybe they would have been pretty darn competitive um against the 2016-17 team which is obviously my top pick it's kind of hard to argue against they were probably a basket away from playing for a championship so um they are number 1 on my list all right Matt how did i do do you feel feel like i, I named – did they get the right five at least
0: yeah we we have the same five okay cool. so i i don't think you missed anything there um i had the 2013 team number 5 i i think that's the least talented of it's probably true of the group um They had one guy on the roster, or I guess they had two. Damian Dotson has, is in the NBA right now. Arsalan Kazemi was, was drafted, never played a minute in the NBA, but so they had two guys that would eventually at least get, you know, find their way either drafted or find their way onto an NBA roster. Um, I have the 2019 team at number four and They are, in my mind, more talented than this past season, the 2020 season, but they just never clicked until really late in the year, and I don't think they ever really truly hit their highest potential of, you know, what they were capable of doing, and plus, they also had Bull Bull being hurt, and, you know, how does that impact things, but I have the 2019 Sweet 16 team at number four, I have this year's team at number three, and like you, I, I think we don't know where they were going to go. I, I think they could have ended up being the number two team of this list, but I, I don't think they could have surpassed the number one or you know taken the number one spot. For me, number two is the 2016 team, like you said, they, they ran into Buddy Heel. They were really good. Uh, and then 2017's Final Four team is the number one team of the decade. And think about this, Eric, real quick. Didn't really dawn on me until a couple of days ago, but that team had five NBA players on it. It had, mm-hmm. it had Peyton Pritchard who was a freshman, and I don't know if we all thought Peyton Pritchard would be, a, would be a fresh, would be an NBA player, uh, as, as a freshman, but he's turned himself into one. It had Tyler Dorsey who is currently playing overseas. He took a huge money deal overseas after playing two years in the NBA. It had Dylan Brooks who Is a core piece of the, of the Memphis Grizzlies, a team before the season ended or was put on temporary hold, uh, an eighth seed in the playoffs. It had Jordan Bell, who is currently playing in the NBA this season and it had Chris Boucher off the bench. Uh, well, I guess the final four, he was hurt, but going in, you know, during the season at least and all up into the conference championship game against Arizona, he was healthy. And so they had five NBA players on that roster. That, that is insane to think about. And on top of that, you also have Dylan Ennis, who has a very lucrative European deal as well, who is not playing in the NBA. He had a couple summer league stints, uh, most recently with the Warriors and was a keep, a really good player on, on their summer league team. But, you have five NBA guys who who will play in the NBA, and you have a sixth guy that's playing and has a very lucrative European contract. I don't that that is. I, I don't know if there's another team in Oregon history that has that much post Oregon success on it.
1: Yeah, I, I found number one on that list to be. Be, I think, pretty clear in terms of just you think about the talent on that team and you even go back a couple of years and you could have had a team. I know you'd subtract a couple of these guys, but you could have had Joseph Young. You obviously also had Joseph Young playing, uh, with Brooks and Dorsey, uh, and Bell as well for that season. So there's certainly, or I don't know Dorsey didn't play on that team, did he? So maybe he wouldn't count. No, I, no. So, but you still have a lot of those players playing with other talented. So the Oregon's had some good teams. No question about it. And this last question here kind of continues some of that conversation, but, Um, you'll see why I'm laughing in a second here. From at 6 tree Uh, don't mean to open old wounds, but bigger what if, in your guys' opinions, would Oregon have won a championship if Chris Boucher remains healthy for their tournament run in 2017, or if Dennis Dixon's knee stays intact in 2007? Which one hurts more? Could they have had two? Hashtag aughts and audibles. Um, I'll start with my take on this one. I've actually done some what-ifs uh, scenario, scenarios, I think it was a couple of summers ago, and I did both of these stories, so uh, I think the Dixon one hurts a little bit more, just because the team completely unraveled afterwards, and you look up and you see that it was a two-loss LSU team that won the whole thing. Um, Oregon was in really, a, a really good shape to win the national championship, I think... Probably would have won the national championship. If I wrote it as much, just because you look at the teams that were competing for a title that year, um, not the same caliber of teams uh, that normally would be. You know, it was a little bit lighter field because it was a weird season where a bunch of the top teams kind of knocked each other off early on. Oregon was one of the few teams still available, um, so I, I think that one to me hurts a little bit more. And I also remember thinking, and I know I wrote this that despite Oregon being one rebound shy and probably a, a made basket shy against North Carolina to make the national championship, I thought part of them getting there was Jordan Bell taking a step because he had to fill in and kind of be that guy. And not to take away from Chris Boucher, who's obviously had an awesome NBA career, but I thought Jordan Bell kind of came into his own in part because he yep. needed to. So I don't, and I'm not saying they don't make that tournament run. They probably still make a deep run. They may still get to the final four. Maybe they do go further, but I, I can't help but, when I think back to that team and the way that, tur- that tournament played out, think that part of what made Jordan Bell so great, and you think that, I think it was that nine-block game against Kansas that he had um, to go to the Final Four, I just can't help but think maybe some of that doesn't take place if Boucher stays healthy and they have their whole team. Uh, where do you land on this one, Matt?
0: Uh, I I'm going to pick 2007 Oregon team just because they were playing at a pace of a style of football that had never been seen before. And they had really good athletes doing it. And Chip Kelly as the offensive coordinator had really just kind of turned Oregon into, they were, they were very unique. It was a blend of, oh my gosh, we've never seen this before. How do we stop this? And oh my gosh, they're doing it with not elite athletes across the board, but better than good, av- you know, better than good. If that makes any kind of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I would, I would pick football. They were number one. I don't know if the, at one point that year, I can't say that about the men's basketball team. They never reached the number one ranking. Um, they weren't even a one seed in that in that in that season, and they weren't a one seed either when they were healthy from a projection standpoint. I think they were a two. And granted, what's the difference between a one or a two? But re- regardless, I'm I, I'm picking the football team.
1: Yeah, no, it's a tough one, though, and it is a good one, and those are certainly things that you look back on, and I, I kind of wonder if we were to throw in the this year's women's basketball tournament you'd have those big three as your big one. It's obviously not an injury like the other two. Um, right. You'd certainly have some good options to pick from. Being an Oregon sports supporter or follower has certainly had some real heartbreaking, heart-wrenching moments, um, really close to winning a number of, of national championships that they just haven't pulled through with, and I think that's one of the things that made – this year probably so, so painful with, on the woman's side of man. It just feels like even when they're right there and it's not an injury, something, to, something comes up that ruins it. So, uh, good question. I think again, another one of those where if you have thoughts or insights into your pick or you have another one you want to include, maybe the one I just mentioned, go ahead and throw that, throw that in on, the, on social media or on the Oregon, uh, or sorry, on the Dutch territory message boards on the site.
0: It's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audibles podcast. We really appreciate you guys sending in these questions as always. And when we do do another one, hopefully we answer your question again if, if you sent it in. If you have if you if you want to know how to send it, Eric real quick, how do, how can they uh, contact us for the mailbag? Uh,
1: you should either use the hashtag Ots and Audibles or I will post a couple of threads throughout the week uh, asking for questions on Twitter. That's a great way to do it. You can also jump in and direct message me as a couple of questions this week came from that. Uh, if you are a Duck Territory subscriber, absolutely don't be afraid to ask me in one of the threads. Say, "Here's a mailbag question," or DM me on the site there as well. Um, but any way you want to get me your question, send them to, to send them to us because we love kind of these opportunities to to think of things a little differently, and uh, and you guys certainly provide us that opportunity.
0: For Eric Scopo, myself, Matt Prem, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles Podcast. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Adios, amigos.